Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. Are you looking for a great educational website? Then go to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll free of charge. Get a free class 10 Myths of American History when you do enroll. Look, I've got awesome classes there. Classes on the Constitution, classes on the Civil War, classes on secession, classes on American history. A whole slew of great stuff just waiting for you. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com, enroll, and get a real history education. What was the real meaning of the Declaration of Independence? Well, I'll talk about that on this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter. Like my Facebook page and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title, read by yours truly. You can support the show, of course, by going to mcclanahanacademy.com. You've already heard about that. You can also click on that super thanks button if you're watching on YouTube or click on the support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You can throw a few pennies my way or... Go to Spotify for podcasters. You can become a member there. All those ways, of course, support the show financially. But as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you like it. Share it around on social media. Give it that five-star review where you can. Leave a text review where you can. Comment on YouTube for the algorithm. All of those things help get more eyes and ears on the program. And also send me those show requests. I do want to see what you want to hear. All right. Well, I promised that I was going to review this book, or at least a part of this book, when I talked about it with the Jamel Bowie piece uh, a few weeks back on the meaning of the Declaration and Ron DeSantis and what conservatives are doing with that. Now, just to give you some context here, back in 2021, I'll mention this again, there was a piece I wrote for Chronicles magazine where I was critical of the president's, President Trump's uh, 1776 commission report. And I was critical of it because in, what I argued was that it was a distorted understanding of the Declaration of Independence. That the Declaration is not what all of these West Coast Straussians say it is. That the Declaration Declaration didn't do anything that these West Coast Straussians say it did. That they're reading into it, as Richard Brookheiser actually said the other day with their secret decoder ring, right? The West Coast Straussians have this decoder ring that they run around with. And really what is going on here is that What's happened with the American right is they've adopted the same position as the American left. They're both Lincolnian nationalists. And so they're reading the Declaration in reverse. They're reading it from Lincoln's position, which was also reading the Declaration in reverse. And Lincoln himself made things up as he went. For example, he makes up the idea that secession is illegal. He makes it up right there on the spot. He doesn't uh, he doesn't find this anywhere. He has a great political discovery. He's making it up in 1861. So the arguments that oftentimes people make, for example, against secession, are Lincolnian in nature. And Lincoln was making these things up to justify what he was doing in the 1860s, to actually wage war on the states without a declaration of war, or the Confederate states without a declaration of war, to say it was illegal because, well, that fit into his paradigm and what he wanted to do as president of the United States. And so to do that, you have to come up with a narrative. The same thing with the Declaration. In the Gettysburg Address, Lincoln comes up with a narrative. 
a narrative that was ahistorical, not based on any reality whatsoever. But yet, people have gobbled this up because, again, it fits into a political narrative. In essence, as what other legal scholars have said, Lincoln's position on, on secession was consistent with his position on the Declaration. They were political statements, not legal statements. And in the case of both, they're ahistorical. This is what I've argued for several years now. So when you look at uh, how West Coast Straussians and conservatives try to teach the Declaration, this goes back to Ron DeSantis in Florida, or all of these people, the West Coast Straussians, or any of these people around the United States, Hillsdale College, I've had people email me with screenshots and other things from tests they've taken or uh, curriculum they've gotten in some of these areas that's heavily influenced by these things. And the Declaration is the Proposition Nation myth. This is what it's called, that we have this proposition that all men are created equal, and that is the foundation of the United States. Now, one thing that's curious to me is that these Proposition Nation myth people are very critical of the 1619 Project, when in reality the 1619 Project believes in the Proposition Nation myth. They simply think that Americans never realized it. They never got there. And so the proposition nation myth people will say, well, okay, uh, we had this proposition that all men are created equal. We know the founding generation didn't necessarily live up to that at the time, but we had all these things that show that eventually they got there, that they firmly believed in this. And of course, we had this righteous clause to end slavery in the 1860s. And so therefore, the proposition nation myth was achieved, right? It was, it was finally realized. What the 1619 Project says is that, no, it never was realized, because then we had to have Reconstruction, then we had to have the Civil Rights Movement. Now, the West Coast Straussians would actually agree with that to an extent, and they would say, well, that's true, because we still have these evil Southerners out there who were trying to block all this stuff, the Proposition Nation myth from being realized, so we had to take care of them, and they're still the issue, right? Uh, Michael Anton writing an entire chapter dedicated to how bad John C. Calhoun was is still the problem. We have these people that want to say that all these Southerners and everything they said was alien to America, right? It was, it was heretical. It was not real America. Real America was uh, Charles Sumner. Real America was New England. That was real America. The South wasn't real America. Now, all of this, of course, is historically backwards. Uh, New England was actually the odd section. The South was actually the dominant section in terms of how people thought about things. Now, on the other hand, when you look at issues of race... We know that throughout America in the 1840s, 30s, 20s, 50s even, even in 1860, you know, if you want to talk about race and how people viewed race, it was an American position of white superiority. This is, uh, you, had, you had people from New England, from the West, from the South saying these things, right? They all believed that America was the, uh, the United States was the white man's government. And it doesn't matter if you're North or South, this is what people were saying. Now, that's, that language is shocking to us today. When people say these things, you, you, you recoil back and say, my gosh. But the fact is, this is what people said. So when, when, um, when Alexander H. Stevens says the corner, makes the cornerstone speech, which, of course, he says was not necessarily uh, accurately transcribed, when he gives that cornerstone speech, he was simply reiterating what he thought American government should be because that's what it had been in the 1840s and the 1830s, according to the Supreme Court, according to uh, in the 1850s, according to the Supreme Court, according to the United States Congress, according to the states. This is how it always been. And you look at the West, and when you have the Republican Party in the West saying that they want free soil, free labor, free men, it's about white labor. I mean, so this was 
a position that Americans believed in north and south fundamentally. They were, uh, they were certainly insistent that there was no racial equality. Abraham Lincoln himself said this, right? So to say that somehow Jefferson was making a statement that would say that all men were equal uh, in a political society was incorrect. They didn't believe that. That's my whole point. Now, we can argue today in 20, the 21st century that we should believe this, but that's not what the founding generation believed. And so to, and you're, and it's not, and Lincoln was telling a lie. So the 1619 projects actually, if you want to say, they're, they're correct. If you believe in the proposition nation, then there never has been a realization of that until perhaps, the, in their mind, maybe even the 21st century, and maybe not even now. that They don't, they don't have this, this full equality in society. That's their argument. They've never had full equality in society. Not in the way that Lincoln described it in 1863. So we have this, I think, in many ways, misconception about what the Declaration was and what it meant. Well, Jamel Bowie was... Oppression about that. I mean, he he and and he understands this. And that piece I talked about a couple of weeks back, he says it. Well, this is true. I mean, if you want to, if you want to say that, um, you know, the, the they didn't believe it, okay. Or if they did, so what? We know we have to look at examples. So along comes a book a couple of years ago. Uh, it's by Kermit Roosevelt. Now Kermit Roosevelt the <laughs> third. So the Roosevelts, the Kermit Roosevelts, have had a long history in America of being uh, interesting folks. We know it was Kermit Roosevelt who also was involved. One of his direct ancestors, direct uh, yeah, direct ancestors, is also involved in overthrowing the Shah in Iran. Right. So this is this is Kermit Roosevelt. He's had people involved in the government, the CIA. They're all part of the Roosevelt family. Now this Kermit Roosevelt is a legal, is a law professor. And he's written a number of books. This book is entitled The Nation That Never Was. The Nation That Never Was. You see, there's a very interesting trend here developing on the left. And Kermit Roosevelt is a progressive. He's arguing for the proposition nation, but he he says it's never... He, he agrees with the 1619 Project. It was never realized. Right? He's arguing the same position. Okay, so the nation that never was. We never had a nation. There's never been one nation. There's never been one people or anything like that. But the most interesting chapter in this entire book is the chapter entitled The Exclusive Declaration. Because what he does in this book now, and what he does with that particular chapter, is explain in detail, and I think a, he does a very good job. I mean, look, I could have written this chapter. Because he, he, he says exactly what I said, just in longer form, in 2021. Now, this book was published in 2022. Now, I don't think he read my Chronicles piece. Um, I, I don't know. He didn't cite me in here, I don't, I don't think. Uh, I haven't looked at his notes. Uh, but he does uh, say some really interesting things about the, about the Declaration. And I, I, I wanted to talk about this book because of that. Now, he's a progressive, so then the charge would be, well, see, McClanahan, you're just a leftist. You don't believe in all this stuff. What what Roosevelt does in the previous chapters, uh, and this is chapter three, what he does in the previous two chapters is lay out the declaration argument from both sides, right? He lays out the Lincolnian proposition nation myth. He lays that out. He says, look, 
This standard story of America is entirely wrong. And I could read that standard story. Let me see if I can find that in here. Because he has just a, a nice little summary, he says, of the standard story. Here it is. It's, on, it's in chapter 1 on page 9. He begins the standard story. It's very short. So let me read the standard story of America. Now, if you're a West Coast Straussian, you would pretty much agree with this entire story. He says, quote, The history of America as a nation starts with the Declaration of Independence. I mean, that's, that's what... The, I mean, so as a nation, it starts with that. Now, I would say it doesn't start with a nation at all, right? It's... It's, uh, and so that's an incorrect statement to begin with, but this is the standard story of America. Back in 1776, our great founders wrote down some wonderful principles. They called them self-evident truths. All men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, including life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Our founders fought a war for those principles, and they built a society around them. They codified those principles in the Constitution. Again, this is the standard story. To say the standard story, this is the what conservatives would say is the standard story of America. Okay? The West Coast Straussians. The Constitution sets out our fundamental values, liberty and equality, the keys to what it means to be an American. It tells us who we are. For more than 200 years, our Constitution has served us well because of the wisdom of the founders. Our task as Americans is to be true to those principles. We haven't always done that, he says. We had slavery, of course, which is in a direct conflict with the Declaration's principles of liberty and equality. But we fought a second war for those principles. The Civil War was fought in the name of those principles of the Declaration. Abraham Lincoln said so in the Gettysburg Address in 1863 when he looked back four score and seven years to 1776 and said the nation was conceived in liberty and dedicated the proposition that all men are created equal. So the Civil War was a test of a nation so conceived and dedicated but it was also an opportunity for Americans to move forward to realize the promise of the Declaration more fully. Now, again, stop me where you've heard this before. This is the righteous cause myth. The entire thing. This is exactly what, when he says the standard story, there are people on the left and the right that firmly believe this. You go onto social media and you say, uh, Lincoln was a bad president, and they're going to regurgitate this. You tell the conservative that the Declaration isn't really the founding of America. No, 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 it is. The Declaration and the Constitution are tied together. They're the same thing. They're the same thing. They have to go, as, as Brooke Hodges said, their secret decoder ring. They have to go figure this out. And they'll, they'll find some quote somewhere that says, here it is, James Madison said this, or here it is, uh, you know, this founding father said this. But this is where Barry Shane's book on the Declaration is so much better because he says they didn't believe any of this stuff. Right? They, they really didn't believe it. They dabbled with it for a time. They kind of gave lip service to it. And yes, in some state constitutions, they started doing some of these things. But at the same time, after they would pass these uh, very, lofty, or pa very lofty language in their state constitutions or ratify these things, they would immediately pass laws that would prohibit blacks from voting or from living in places. So did they really believe these things or was it exclusive as... Roosevelt says the exclusive, excuse me, the exclusive declaration. So he says, going on with the standard story, even after the Civil War, the promise wasn't fully realized. Racism and discrimination persisted. Eventually, the Civil Rights Movement rose to, up to challenge them, marching on Washington in the name of the Declaration. In 1963, from the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, Martin Luther King talked about the founders, the architects of our republic, the people who wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. They promised, he said, that all men, black as well as white, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights 
of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. He pointed to segregation, to race-based denial of the right to vote, as breaches of the promise made by the Declaration. And he dreamed of a day when we would rise up and live out the true meaning of all men are created equal. So if you look at the 1776 Commission Report, this is exactly what it does. Basically, he's regurgitating the 1776 Commission Report in a little different language, but that's what he's doing. This is the curriculum that Florida, it's the proposition nation myth, and the enemy in all of this, of course, it has to be. There has to be a bad guy. There's good guys and bad guys, and the bad guys have to be the evil Southerners who are against this stuff because Lincoln and the North were for this stuff because they fought a war to do these things, and it's only because of those evil Southerners, again, that this promise wasn't realized in the 1860s. If they had just killed all Southerners and eliminated them, they could have had this beautiful utopian society, but these evil Southerners blocked all this stuff. And so, therefore, we never had a realization of the Proposition Nation. This is why, by the way, we're doing the, 17, uh, I'm sorry, the 1607 Project at Abbey Bill Institute because this is essentially, the this part of the book is essentially that. Okay? Maybe that day hasn't still hasn't come, but it's getting closer. This is the standard narrative. The story of America is, the, is a story of living up to the ideals of our founders, the ideals that started us on this journey. We, ha we move forward, but we're guided by the past, by the spirit of 1776. Well, I wish we were guided by the spirit of 1776, the original spirit of 76, which was self-determination, political independence, essentially state powers, federalism, these kind of things that are there. I mean, look, the Declaration does set out a certain style of the United States in the last paragraph. Uh, that was the most important paragraph, by the way, because as Roosevelt does point out, it's a Declaration of Independence. It's a secession document. That's what the point of the Declaration was. Pauline Meyer in American Scripture does this exact thing. That's what she says. It's not a founding document. It's a defounding document. You know, sometimes, look, people think that I don't, I don't uh, read lefties or understand what lefties say. I read them all the time. And sometimes they're right about stuff. And in this case, Kermit Roosevelt, the progressive, is right about these things. We remember, as President John F. Kennedy said, that we are the heirs of the first revolution. And we still carry that banner, the flag of freedom, of equality. We march in the name of the Declaration of Independence. And so he says, this is... Um, the standard story. And he says it's a nice story. You, you can understand why people like it. It's a nice story. It frees you from any of the uh, any of the stain that comes from America. You know, any of the bad things that we might come up with. No, no, no. I don't believe in all this stuff. I believe in this. It gives you a treasury of virtue. Now, what Robert Penn Warren called it was a treasury of counterfeit virtue, right? It gives you a treasury of virtue, though. We're the good guys. These are the things we believe, and because we believe this stuff, the bad guys have always been the problem, the bad guys. But what if that whole entire story is a fairy tale, that it never was there, that they didn't really believe this stuff? Now, of course, people would say, well, if that's the truth, McClanahan, if you do that, well, then you're going to have a situation where you've got all these bad things happening. We don't, we have all this discrimination. No, 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 because the states have always been able, through federalism, to do what they want about these things. Now... We can say, honestly, in the 21st century, we wouldn't want to have a situation where people are discriminated against because of what they're born as. And we, we don't want to do that. We don't, want to, we don't want to have that kind of society. But the states have always been able to do these things. And that is, the, look, federalism is the basis 
of the American experiment. It's what some legal scholars are starting to come to the realization of. All of this top-down, one-nation, proposition-nation, nationalism stuff is a farce. And I said that in Chapter 3, Roosevelt has this, this chapter entitled The Exclusive Declaration, where he gets into what he says is the real declaration. And it's an amazing chapter. It's an amazing chapter. In fact, um, that is where Roosevelt is strongest in this book, in my opinion. So he says, To understand what Jefferson meant by the claim that all men are created equal, we need to return to the context of the Declaration to ask two fundamental questions. First, what is it trying to do? And second, how will it do so? So he says, he actually cites the the preamble to the Declaration. He said, well, let's start with that. Let's start with the preamble and then ex explain what that is. And I don't have time to go through this whole chapter. So I think you should get the book because it it is remarkable that this progressive legal scholar, again, a progressive legal scholar, not a conservative one, a progressive one, is fully realizing that the core founding was not the proposition nation. He says, this sentence tells us several things, and that is the first sentence of the Declaration, which is the preamble. It tells us explicitly what the Declaration is about. Not the rights of individuals to enjoy liberty and equality, but the right of one people to separate from another. That's the whole point of the Declaration. The right of one people to separate from another. It tells us implicitly that the colonies are declaring independence and hence must declare the causes. That's what it's doing. When the course of human events, one it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and assume among the powers of the earth a separate but equal station which the laws of nature and nature of God entitle them. Right? So we're going to separate. It's saying implicitly. Now I can say it's even a little more explicit than implicit, but that's what it's doing. More important, though, again, implicitly, the sentence answers the second question. It describes a separate and equal station the colonists are assuming as one to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them. That means that the justification is going to be based not on positive law, the law of some human government, such as the British Empire, but on natural law, the laws of nature and of nature's God. Now, that's an interesting statement in and of itself, too, because Jefferson might believe that in a state of nature, all men are equal. I mean, he talked about the state of nature. If you get my reading Je Thomas Jefferson class, at McClanahan Academy, I get into this. He did believe that in a state of nature, absent society, all people are equal. But yet, when you enter a political society, that's not the case. A political society is entirely different. A political society, civilization in other words, has rules and structure and laws. And when you enter into that political society, there are things that happen. In other words, Jefferson never thought that you could not abridge people's rights you could do that anytime you wanted in a political society. It was perfectly fine to do it. And they, they, this was something that was agreed upon. In fact, a very telling statement for this uh, is Jefferson's quote, uh, if you expect to be ignorant and free in a state of civilization, you expect what never was and what never will be. Ignorant and free in a state of civilization. So he's qualifying. He's saying, look, you can be ignorant in a state of nature, but you can't be free, ignorant and free in a state of civilization. So in a state of civilization, which is society, high-level society, a functioning society, there are rules and structure. And so in a state of nature, everyone could be equal, 
but we don't live in a state of nature. No one in America right now lives in a state of nature. We all live in a political, high-functioning civilization society. So in that kind of situation, you can abridge things. Rights can be abridged. You might have an a, a natural right to it or an inalienable right to something, but those rights can be abridged. This essentially was what uh, people like Albert Taylor Bledsoe were arguing uh, in the 1850s. Now, they were doing it for what we consider to be nefarious reasons and saying people should be enslaved. Now, we can say that's nefarious. But they were, they were rationalizing these things based on an understanding of what even Jefferson was saying. He, in other words, what these people were saying is the, the New Englanders were taking Jefferson's language and distorting it. This is exactly what Kermit Roosevelt is arguing. He's arguing that was all distortion of what Jefferson actually meant. Now, we could, we could uh, side with that and say, well, we agree with this the way that they interpreted that. That's exposition. That's not how Jefferson actually meant it. So we go back to the founding. You have to understand what Jefferson actually meant. He says, it is going to be an argument. This is the Declaration of Political Philosophy based on natural law. How will that argument proceed? Jefferson aims to show that the colonists are justified in rejecting the authority of the crown. He thus needs a theory about what political authority can be rejected and a, de and a demonstration that the colonist case fits that theory. This, in short, is what the Declaration is. It first explains the origin and nature of legitimate political authority. It then explains when the exercise of political authority ceases to be legitimate. And then it endeavors to show that the situation of the American colonists fits the criteria that justify rebellion. So now again, the Declaration is a secession document. It's a document of self-determination. Uh, there is a, you, you could say, well, this is a document of revolution, of rebellion, that it's not a, dec a, a document of secession. Well, the one difference between, of course, the U.S. Constitution and the British situation was that they had a monarchy, a sovereign that they were, they were breaking away from. In the case of the U.S. Constitution, there is no sovereign above the people above the people of the states. There's nothing. There's no sovereign U.S. government. There's nothing. That sovereign didn't exist. The people of the sovereign, the sovereign people of the sovereign states created the center. They didn't give that thing any sovereignty. They gave it powers. That's not sovereignty. Madison tries, as I talked about yesterday, Madison tries to weasel around this and say, well, powers and sovereignty are the same thing. No, they're not. They're powers. They gave it powers collectively. And so some people of the states, the people of the states are the states. They withdrew from that and formed their own government. And they gave that government powers. So that's self-determination. This is exactly what the Declaration would agree to. So he has some other interesting parts of this, of this particular chapter. Um, he gets into the political philosophy of the Declaration. He talks about uh, what the what the Declaration is and what it was. Uh, the he talks about slavery in the Declaration. You know, if these people really firmly believed that we had this proposition nation of equality, well, then why did they do X, Y, and Z? They didn't really believe it, in other words. This wasn't something that they fundamentally believed. They didn't believe in, the, in equality in the way that we think they believed in equality. That's reading the Declaration backwards. It's not reading it as a historian should read it. In fact, Kermit Roosevelt in this particular book, even I mean, he's a legal scholar, but he's a very good historian here. He's doing exactly what a historian should do, not working from, a, a, from an ideology, from a philosophy, and saying, this is what I want them to be. He's just reading the evidence. 
That's not what people tend to do anymore, particularly when they start getting into Lincoln. They want to have, they, they, they have to believe the Lincolnian myth because if the Lincolnian myth is not real, if the proposition nation is not real, then their entire identity is destroyed because it gives them self-worth. You look at it. All of these people, if you go on social media and they start doing memes and all the other stuff they do and the Lincolnians, all the, all the, all the little dopies that run around uh, with the Lincolnian proposition nation myth and, and, of course, things like Sherman and other, it gives them a justification to believe what they believe. You see, if the link, if Lincolnian myth is false, the entire war was illegitimate and immoral. It was illegitimate and immoral. Now, we can point to things that were being done in the North, even early on. Of course, there, was, there were people that were talking about abolishing slavery as early as 1861 in the North. They were talking about doing it. Uh, they were trying to come up with ways, you know, the Confiscation Acts and other things, trying to come up with ways to hurt the South as war measures. But then you, if you look at the majority of Americans in 1861, you would pro- if you had polled them, I think you would found that most Americans were willing to let slavery exist in the South. They just didn't want to see it into the Western territories. This was a constitutional crisis more than anything else. And what they didn't want was somehow slavery being foisted on them in the North because there was this perception after Dred Scott that slavery would be legal everywhere, even in Northern states, that they couldn't abolish slavery. But that's not what, of course, the Dred Scott decision did. But that's what they thought it would do. So there's this also perception there, the slave power, that you get into these very emotionally charged things and perceptions about what's happening and so you see a violent conflict, killed a million Americans. But the, the purpose of the war in 1861 was to save the Union, right? That's what Lincoln said, and that's what most Americans would have done. The, the original 13th Amendment, this Daniel Croft's book, Lincoln and the Politics of Slavery, is very clear that the original 13th Amendment, which would have per, made slavery permanent in the states where it already existed, uh, was actually popular in more northern states than southern states. You see, there were northern states that actually ratified the amendment after it was passed by Congress. Southerners said, this is not the issue. We don't think you are going to do this. And even some northerners scoffed at it. Like, we're not, we're not doing that. We're not abolishing slavery in the south. That's not our goal. Our goal is to take care of it in the territories. That was the goal. So it was a constitutional crisis. What powers did the central government have? This is what everyone misses. It wasn't based on the proposition nation, all these other things. So the complexity of all this, they have to have this proposition nation myth. And Kermit Roosevelt, I think, destroys it in this book. You got to get it. You got to read this. The nation that never was. You're not going to probably like a lot of his politics in the book, but you are going to understand. I think he does a good job of tearing down this proposition nation myth. All right. See you tomorrow on the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.